In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the altar. So if you don't mind, I'll go up here and point some things out to you. So this is the altar here. On the altar we have the gospel book, we have the vigil candle, we have the tabernacle back here which has the body and blood of Christ that's reserved for those who are sick or homebound. But our altar here has something missing. There's something missing here. Can you see what it is? Maybe not. So I'll get back to that in just a second. Today we celebrate the fathers of the Seventh Ecumenical Council. As many of you may know, the Seventh Ecumenical Council was against iconoclasm, which means icon smashers. And at that council, there was this great proclamation which was affirming the veneration of icons and the use of icons in our churches, as was the ancient Christian practice. But in addition to that proclamation, there were 22 canons that also came from that. Now the boys might have heard that and say, canons? The church has canons? That's pretty cool. (laughs) And in fact, in the Orthros service today, it says, describing the fathers, it says, O divine battalion, heavy artillery of theologians of the Lord's army. So yes, we have an army. But these are different kind of canons. These canons are spiritual guidances, kind of, kind of like spiritual laws. And 22 came out of that, uh, that council. And one of them struck me. It goes, Churches must be consecrated with the relics of holy martyrs and saints. Churches must be consecrated with the relics of martyrs. You see, the iconoclasts weren't just against icons. They were against any sort of giving any honor to anyone, anywhere. So they didn't like relics, which are, of course, the the bones of those holy people who have given their life, who have been baptized in their own blood for our Lord. They didn't like relics, and so they were consecrating churches without any relics. And so when this council definitively said, this is not worship, this is veneration, these are our examples, these are those who have put on Christ, and these are the ones that we venerate, God alone is worshipped. Then also at this council, they reinstated the ancient Christian practice of having the relics of martyrs inside the altar. Now, how ancient is this practice? It goes back to the very first centuries of the church. Because, as you may recall, where were Christians first worshipping when they were persecuted? In the catacombs. What are catacombs but underground graveyards? And so the earliest liturgies celebrated by Christians, they were blessed and sanctified by the very bones of those who had given the ultimate witness of Christ, the witness of their very own lives. So these saints, their relics were there, blessing all of the sacraments of the church. And so the church to this day has maintained this blessed thing, which is to have relics in the altar of consecrated churches. Now our altar, that's the thing that's missing. We don't have relics in our altar because our altar is not consecrated. Now consecration is the service of dedicating the house of God. 
So it's a service where the bishop comes. It's actually very much like a baptism and chrismation of the church itself. The altar receives a white garment after it's been washed with blessed water, after it's been anointed with holy chrism. And that white garment is both its burial garment, I mean, its uh, baptismal garment and its burial shroud. It's called a katasarkion. And katasarkion means on the body. Why? Because this is the place where Christ's own body is sacrificed in each and every liturgy. And so the, the consecration service is this dedicating of the temple, of the house of God. The bishop also anoints all of the icons in the church with holy myrrh. They would process three times around the church with the relics that are going to be placed inside the altar. The very bones of those who have died for Christ. Every single church in the world that has been consecrated has the relics of the martyrs inside the altar. And in that way, each and every church is an imitation of the very earliest churches of Christ. When I was in Greece a few months ago, I went to Thessaloniki as well. And we just happened upon this old catacomb church. And as you may know, in these ancient cities, they build up and build up and build up. So anything that's ancient, you have to go down the steps to it. So we went down about a floor into this little uh, plaza garden area. And then you take steps further down into the very catacombs in which Christians were worshipping in the first century. And this catacomb church is actually dedicated to St. John the Baptist, just like our very own church. And so in this, you can really see and experience how the church is blessed by those who have given the ultimate witness of their lives. So now that our altar doesn't have the relics of the saints, it hasn't been consecrated, it doesn't mean that our sacraments are any less holy, because God fills the gap. But what it does mean, and this is the point I want to make clear today, is that our mission is not accomplished. We are not finished as a church because we don't have the relics of saints in our altar. We do not have a consecrated altar. Now some of you have been here from the very beginning, back in Barry and Agape's dining room. Some of you have been here from other locations that the church was at. And many of you have only known the church in this present location. And what I submit to you is that our final church, our final church, is not yet this. Now, I'm not offering any solutions about where it can be. It can be here in this building. It can be built on this property. It can be somewhere else. That's something that the dedicated people in our parish are working out, right, as we speak with the the strategic plan, goal number two. If you want to be involved, please come and be involved in that. But what I am saying is what you see here is incomplete. And this is something that we can't forget. When I came back from Greece, I brought that icon of the Panagia. That icon's hand-painted. Many of you have noticed there's something different about a hand-painted icon, painted prayerfully to the glory of God, as opposed to the printed icons that we have here in the church. But what I do want to say, even though I won't give all the solutions about what our final church will be, I'll say it must have two things. It must be beautiful, and it must be God-pleasing. The church must be beautiful because this is the nature of God. When we look around at creation, 
I've mentioned this to some of you, but maybe you haven't heard this before. Have you ever thought that God could have just made bird? And every single bird would look exactly like a crow? You can't even imagine that. Or that God created tree. Or that He created rock. Or He created flower. And it's the exact same thing everywhere. This is not the nature of our creation. But what it shows to us is that God loves beauty. God loves beautiful things. And God desires to give us beautiful things. Why do we have beautiful things? For joy. And when seen rightly, it's the joy of God. It's the joy that we see in our Creator through the creation. So the church must be beautiful. And it must be unnecessarily beautiful. Not just beautiful like, okay, this is good enough. But we give God our absolute best. And this is where we get very un-American here. It has to be very beyond functional utility. A church is not functional utility. A church is a gift that we give back to God with the gifts that He has given to us. And what are those gifts? They better be the best. They better be the greatest. And this is why every Orthodox church, from the greatest cathedral down to the most humble chapel, if you go to these old countries and see these churches, they're all beautiful. Some of them that are barely a few people can fit inside, and yet they're beautiful. They're beautiful. And in fact, in the liturgy, there are two prayers in the liturgy where we say, Lord, sanctify those who love the beauty of your house. Now, unfortunately, in our liturgy book, it says the majesty of your house. It's evprepian. It means the beauty of your house. Lord, sanctify those who love the beauty of your house. What is that prayer saying? We say it towards the beginning of the liturgy and then at the end of the liturgy. Saying, bless those who what? Who love the beauty of your house. So, do we love the beauty of God's house? Do we desire the beauty of God's house? Do we desire, like the ancient Jews, to create this most glorious temple? Again, it can be within these walls. I'm not talking about what the church needs to look like, except it must be beautiful. It must be something when people pass by, they go, wow, what is that? That's dedicated. It's something different from everything around. This is what the church must be. And secondly, it must be God-pleasing. Because yes, there is a function for a church. So the church must have all the adornments that a church needs, not a warehouse or a convention center or any other use. It must be everything for the glory of the work that is done inside that church. So everything must be God-pleasing. It must be those things which are for the function and purpose of glorifying God and of receiving His blessings. And yes, it should also have hand-painted icons as well. One day. These things take time, so that's okay. But to be God-pleasing, it must be the best materials. Because as we know, when we give of our stewardship, which is the things that God owns that we take care of, not in a possessive way, He doesn't own it, but they're the things of God He's given us. So when we give back to Him, who are we like, Cain or Abel? We're like the one who gave the best. Not the one who gave grumbling or gave sort of whatever. So in our church, it will reflect that. And ultimately, it will be a church where our children, our grandchildren, and our grandchildren's children will go and be blessed by God and by the sacraments.
Again, all of this can happen within this very property, within these walls. But I want to say again, our mission is not completed. We don't have relics inside that altar. So every time we come into church, we should all be distinctly aware of that. We have a blessed space, but it's not done. It is finished when the bishop comes and places the relics of the saints inside the altar, when the church is complete and it is beautiful and it is God-pleasing. So may this be our goal, our mission. May we continue forward with this. During Theology 101, I'll be talking all about what a consecration service is. So please come and listen. And may we continue to keep this in our prayers and in our minds so that we may offer to God the greatest, the best that all of us in this room can offer. Amen.